and chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. We will commence reading from verse 15 in order to recap what we learned last time and then proceed to the passage we are looking at together today. 1 John 2 and verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the, world, from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Children, it is the last hour. And as we have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. Well, brethren, we are continuing in our series of messages from John's first epistle under the theme, Assurance of Eternal Salvation. We noted that was the end of this epistle. That's what John himself says. That the reason why he has written this epistle is so that those who have believed in the Son of God may know that they have eternal life. And so from the very beginning of uh, this book, we have used that as the needle that has enabled us to weave together the various passages that we find in this epistle. The last few messages that we had were on that injunction of the Apostle John that we found in the 15th verse. Do not love the world. We noted that John rarely gives injunctions. He simply states facts. 
But here in that passage, he broke away from that pattern of his and exhorted those who were to receive this letter that they need to beware of the effect of the world upon them. And in being aware of it, they needed to do something drastic. And it is to ensure that they do not love the world. Because the world has a tendency to have a negative impact upon their lives. It destroys their testimony. It destroys their sense of assurance of salvation. It is a terrible opportunity cost. The more you love the world, the less you love God. The more time you spend embracing the world, the less time you spend embracing God, embracing His cause, and living for the kingdom of God. Invariably, therefore, it robs you of love for God, it robs you of joy in God, it robs you of peace with God. So that whole passage is one that we need to come to again and again and again, especially when you see an apostle deliberately moving away from his normal approach with respect to his writing pattern. He goes into an appeal. Surely, it must be because it means a lot to him as he was inspired by God. Well, as we enter into verse 18, we move on to yet another issue. And this time, it is that discouragement that we experience when those who are our friends with whom we have made a profession of faith when they abandon the Christian faith altogether. If you have been a Christian long enough, you know the effect that this has on you. If you've been a Christian only for a week, two weeks, three weeks, maybe a month, maybe two months, I mean, it's the greatest experience that you can ever have knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior. You are convinced that nobody can ever abandon this kind of life, the peace, the joy that you experience. However, you only have to walk with the Lord a year, two years, three years, when you discover that those with whom you are celebrating begin to fall off one after the other. And the effect it has on you can be quite disconcerting, if not discouraging altogether. It often makes you ask the question, first of all, is Christianity real? Is what I have experienced real? This joy, this peace. If other people can abandon this profession of faith, Maybe I've just been imagining what I am going through. Maybe it may not be real after all. There's another question that you would like you to ask yourself, and it is this. 
Will I do the same before long? Will I last in my professional faith? Or having gone even further up, will my own fall, in fact, be even louder than theirs because they had hardly begun the journey before they fell back? That's what it does to you. It, it sets you a thinking, as it were. You sit there saying to yourself, let me think again. Let me get back to the drawing board. What is this that is really happening? Before I go out there and continue making claims concerning Jesus Christ that he saves to the uttermost, that he saves forever, let me make sure concerning this matter. I'm pretty sure many of you sitting in here have gone through that experience. And so you can well understand why John addresses this matter. And I want to go through verse 18 and 19 with you this morning by simply asking a number of questions and then answering them. The first question I want to ask is, what is it that brings about massive apostasy among the people of God? What is it? The answer is quite simple. And John deals with it here. It is the presence of so many heretical teachers. The presence of so many heretical teachers. And by heresy, I don't simply mean a little bit of a mistaken notion here or there concerning the, the Christian faith. I'm talking about error with respect to the most important things concerning the way of salvation. And especially with respect to who Jesus is and what he has done to bring us to salvation before Almighty God. The way to heaven. When people are released upon the world who claim to be Christian and yet are teaching a wrong way of salvation, invariably, many people follow after them. And the result can be damaging. This is what John draws the attention of his readers to in our text. Look with me again at verse 18. He says, children, it is the last hour. And as we have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. The literal translation of the first part of uh, that verse is simply, little children, last hour it is. Last hour it is. And you capture something therefore in, in the literal translation of where John's emphasis is. It is basically the fact that we have come through a season, we have entered a season from the best of men. Those of you who participated 
in watching the World Cup, the FIFA World Cup, will understand this phenomenon. Usually at the beginning of a match, all the players are gentlemen. There's hardly any foul. They are all sizing one another. But when the final whistle is only five minutes away, and the team is lagging behind 0-1, the last hour it is. You can't miss it. They are putting in literally everything possible to get the goal in. They put aside their manners for a while. Put your leg in the wrong place and you will be going flying into the air. Someone will break your back. Okay, I can see some of you must have watched again. The last hour it is. It's tough in that moment. It is no holds barred. It is the law of the jungle. It is play your role, but be careful. The situation has gotten worse. That's what John is saying here. The dear children, that's the phase we have entered into. Last hour it is. How does he capture that? Well, he captures it this way. That you see, you already know, it has already been taught that the Antichrist is coming. And obviously by that he means the prophetic writings that have already been referred to that speak about this man of sin who in due season would come and deceive the nations. And then he says, in the spirit of that reality, many Antichrists have already come. In other words, that which will be the final deception in fact, there are many such deceivers that have been unleashed upon the world. And he's writing soon after the Lord Jesus Christ had gone to heaven, relative to where we are today, that false teachers have already spread out. Now, if we turn to the scriptures, we will see that, in fact, the Bible predicted that there would be such times towards the end before the coming of Christ. Just one passage will be sufficient for now, and that is Matthew chapter 24. So if you we'll just quickly turn with me there, Matthew 24, verse 11, and then I'll skip over to verse 24. Matthew 24, 11, and verse 24. The Bible says there, in verse 11, this is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking. He says, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, 
the love of many will grow cold. This will be the effect of this false teaching. It will open a door to lawlessness. It will open a door to immorality. And many will backslide. Oh, as he puts it in verse 24, for false Christs and false prophets will arise. And they will perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. And John is looking at all that and basically saying, look, that's the kind of atmosphere that you are living in. They've been released and they are already doing damage to you. Look at how many antichrists are already here. Obviously, it begs the question, what does he really mean by antichrist? One disadvantage is that only John uses this phrase in both this epistle and the next. But I've got good news for you. He's fairly consistent in his use of it. And so each time he uses it, you can't miss the fact that the Antichrist were those who denied who Jesus Christ really was. And the saving work consequently that he has done to bring us to salvation. Let's take a look at each of the uses and you won't miss this point. First of all, back to 1 John chapter 2 and this time verse 22. 1 John 2 and verse 22. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus is the Anointed One, Jesus is the Messiah, this Jesus who walked around in Israel, around Galilee, this Jesus whom we know about is the one through the, about whom the entire Old Testament kept promising that he is coming to deliver his people. Those who deny this, listen to the next statement. This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. So you can't miss the point there. But let's hurry on. Chapter 4. Chapter 4. It's reading verse 3, but I will begin from verse 2. Chapter 4. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Now listen to this. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. So again, it's a denial of who Jesus is and of his saving work. The way in which he brings sinners to, to himself. And lastly, 2 John. 
which is really just a page away. Second John. It has no chapter or chapters, but verse 7. Verse 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. They've denied that. That the Messiah has come. He's dwelt among us. He has taught us. He has died upon the cross for our sins. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. So the point is quite simple. What is it that causes so much apostasy? It is when you have so many individuals claiming to be teachers of the Christian faith, but who do not know Jesus Christ, and they do not Present him appropriately for who he is and for the way in which he brings sinners to himself. They will teach everything else. They will pour before you the promises of God. That God wants you to be happy. That God wants you to be healthy. That God wants you to be wealthy. They will share all these things with you. But there's one not missing. Who is this Jesus Christ? What is it that he has done to bring sinners to himself? In other words, they are not a channel through whom the grace of God is bringing sinners to himself, bringing sinners to conviction of sin, bringing sinners to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and consequently their personalities, their natures are being completely transformed and they are able to live a life that previously was impossible. They are not producing such fruits of their teaching, is the second question I ask. What is the effect of this? The answer is, it is that many individuals go after them. Many. They leave the churches where true teaching about Jesus Christ is taking place. And they go after such teachers. And this is what John captures in the painful words in our text. Back to First John chapter 2. Children, it is the last hour. And as you heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. And here's the point. Therefore we know that it is the last hour they went out from us. They went out from us. Who are they who went out from us? Of course, first of all, it is the teachers themselves, the false teachers. Those who have abandoned the truth and have taken on erroneous teachings, have taken on heretical teachings. There are individuals about whom you can say, we were baptized together. We used to worship together. We were in the same church. But they listened to wrong teaching. They believed it, and they left. That has now 
become their teaching. That's what they are now teaching. But following them are also those individuals who do not claim at all that they are called to any teaching or preaching ministry, but they have become their followers. They've also left. They've gone with them. They've bundled themselves up elsewhere. And consequently, there are places where this heretical teaching is flourishing. But there's something else which is flourishing there. Immoralism. The two go together. Because where the gospel is not truly preached, people can answer altar calls or rights, but they are still not saved. Salvation only comes to us through understanding the truth concerning salvation in Jesus Christ and then responding to it through genuine repentance and faith. So there they are in their numbers. But because the grace of God is not in their souls, the Spirit of God is not in their hearts, they become nothing more than downright hypocrites. Living one life to please the outside world and quite another in secret. Until God says enough is enough and pulls the plug or opens the door and the skeletons fall out. That's what you begin to see in this reality. Wrong doctrine results in immoralism. But let's face it, friends. It is still discouraging. It is. Most of us got a shock of our lives this weekend when all the headlines of all the newspapers had it there. And for a while, some of us didn't want to be known as pastors. But sadly, as life is, I walked into the bank first thing in the morning before I even saw the mistake. And the lady at the counter said, Bishop, how is the flock and the family, Bishop? And the way many people looked at me in that place, if I'd only read the newspaper earlier, I would have turned red. The bottom line is this. Where doctrine is wrong, immoral living is inevitable. Because the grace of God is absent. And it's the grace of God that arrests that foul power in our souls that the Bible refers to as sin, which produces the actions and the thoughts that are sinful. Where it is missing, invariably all hell breaks loose. But it hurts us. Because for you it's not just doctrine. 
its name, personalities, its individuals. You can speak about John and Mary. You can speak about real individuals you worshipped with. Who've now abandoned the path that you walked together. They may not have abandoned the Christian name altogether. But you know that where they have gone, it stinks spiritually. You know. And you ask yourself, is this Christianity real? Is it? Or another way, how long can I last on the upward way? How long? When somebody I looked up to so much has gone this way. Well, that leads me to my third question. And it is this. How are we to understand this very discouraging phenomenon? How? Well, it is the fact that those who abandon the faith and go into heretical teaching and immoral living were not true believers in the first place. Now, I know that's hard to swallow. I've had my share of it. Individuals with whom we prayed, some of whom I considered as prayer warriors, Borrowing a phrase from across the fence. Now live lives that completely contradict what we stood for then. Well, this is the heart of John's message. This is what he was seeking to, to really drive home to the people that were receiving this epistle. Let's look at verse 19 again. This is the way he puts it. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. You can't miss the point of what John is saying here. And this little phrase, note of us, appears in that one verse four times over. Clearly, that's the point he wants us to go home with. And instead of you sitting there feeling so discouraged, biting your nails, wondering whether you yourself will make it, understand this. That these individuals never had the heart or the root of the matter. True faith in Jesus Christ was not embedded in their souls. The spirit of the living God was not dwelling in them. That's the reason why this has happened. And of course, as we shall see next week, he goes on to turn to them and say, but for you, it's different. For you, it's different. And we will deal with that positive message next week. The point is obvious. They were not true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
They had not experienced salvation, though they were in the church. Now, this is a teaching that most of us have lost. That it is possible to be sincere and to be sincerely lost. It is. Gives us tests of salvation. Is this true of you? If it's not true of you, then you are not a believer. We'll say that again and again and again in this epistle. John gives us tests. And if you are so careless, you are sitting there and you, you think to yourself, well, you know, I already signed on the decision card, I already answered an altar call, I already did this, that, I was baptized, I'm a member of this church, so why should I even be checking myself? I mean, I'm sure everything is okay. So whatever that message is about, it's for that guy sitting at the back or that girl over there, certainly not me. If that's your attitude, I want to say to you, you are being very careless about yourself. Keep going back to the touchstone of Scripture. Keep saying to the Lord, Lord, search me and try me. Master, today. Show me what is true of me on the inside. And Lord, if I am not saved, Save me today. I plead with you. Instead of constantly just passing it on to other people until you are swept away by some popular teaching which in fact is heretical teaching altogether. And then your life goes down and down and down and down the, the immoral sewer. That's the one. Never take sincerity to mean the heart of the matter. Let me use an obvious example. If here you are, you claim to be a Christian, but you lie easily. You easily tell lies. Easily. Someone asks you where you were yesterday, and you tell him a lie. And it doesn't bother you. Here's my point. Have you asked yourself, how come I tell lies and it doesn't bother me? How come? How come to me, being a truthful person only matters when someone else lies to me? Then I get upset. Can you be telling lies to, to an elderly person like me? That's your view of it. Well, it ought to bother you. It ought to take you back to, to your knees. It ought to, to cause you to ask the Lord, Lord, how calm and comfortable with this particular sin in my life. How come? If you haven't saved me, Lord, save me now. I may not be lying that you might be guilty of. I've taken one of the, the least possible spiritual crimes. It might be something else. But you know it's sinful. And you entertain it. You are comfortable with it. It makes 
up your life and just move on like that. But you know it's not godly, it's wicked, it's sinful, it's evil. It ought to make you go back to the drawing board and say, Am I truly sick? Sincerity is not enough. The point of the Apostle John here is that actually apostasy only takes people where they really belong afterwards. That's all it does. It's a sifting process. As we are all being thrown into the air from the basket, those that do not have the the matter of salvation in their souls soon get blown off by the wind and fall by the side. That's all. They go where they belong. It is God rooting out the weeds from us. That's what he's saying at the end of verse 19. That it might become plain that they all are not of us. That's what it's all about. It's a matter of time. The hypocrites in the church who don't take the trouble to sort out their spiritual lives. But it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It doesn't matter what church it is. Even in the membership of Kawata Baptist Church. It's going to happen. We will be discouraged. We will weep. We will mourn. We will shed tears. But it's going to happen. Not everybody who goes through this baptismal pool, as sincere as their professional faith might be, not every one of them is a genuine believer. So, let me ask. Are you in the situation today where the many friends who once walked in the truth of the gospel with you have since abandoned it and are now doctrinally and morally shipwrecked? Are you in that position where it has rocked your own assurance of salvation? It has caused you to, to ask those questions of discouragement. Is Christianity real? Is what I've experienced real? Will I last? Will I? Well, John has given us the explanation. First of all, it is the fact that we are living in critical times when heretical teachings abound everywhere. We are. Through radio, through television, through newspapers, magazines, through books, especially free books, through the internet. Heretical teaching abounds. It's not just the same ones people are hearing from their pulpit. No. They are listening. In a thousand other places. 
And that information is being logged into the brain. And there is nothing the church eldership can do to safeguard the people from that. It abounds. That's the reason why. And the second is this. That those friends of yours were not truly converted. They may have been sincere. But they were not truly converted. They did not have the root of the matter in them. Their hearts were not transformed by grace. The Holy Spirit of the living God was not dwelling in them. And that's why, finally, they abandoned the true faith altogether. But for you, when that happens, it will throw you back on your knees. Crying to the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh Jesus, I have promised to save you today. Be thou forever near me, my Savior and my friend. And it was so that Christ that way that shows that there is salvation. There is salvation. May God help all of us to give out that kind of cry today. Amen.